Mark chapter 11, verse 20 through 26, my message today is entitled, Faith That Endures. As you know, just a quick review and walkthrough of what we've been studying over the last several weeks. We started in Mark chapter 11, and I want to remind you that Mark chapter 11 through Mark chapter 16 covers the last week of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Chapters 1 through 10 cover 32 and a half years. And so here we are in the last week of Jesus's life. Some call this the Passion Week, or maybe you've heard it referred to as Holy Week. And we looked a few weeks ago at chapter 11, verse 1 through 11, and this recalls the triumphal entry account where Jesus rides into Jerusalem. He's on a colt in fulfillment of Zechariah in chapter 9. Many expected him to make um, some kind of kingly speech of some kind, which would inaugurate um, what they believed was supposed to happen when the Messiah took his rightful place. And Jesus did not do what they expected. So the text tells us that Jesus went into the temple, saw what was happening, and then he went back to Bethany. That would be Sunday. And then we read last week, where it was Monday, verse 12 through 19. And this is how Jesus is on his way to the temple for the second time. He's hungry, so he sees a fig tree and he desires to have something to eat. So he goes to it to get a snack. There are leaves on the fig tree, but there's no fruit. And we talked about how that wasn't supposed to be the case. And so Jesus curses the fig tree, but that was a pronouncement of judgment indicative of how Israel had been stewarding all that God had given. And he says, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And this wasn't just about the fig tree. This was actually about all that was going on. And now he makes his way into the temple. He overturns the tables. He drives out all of the merchants and the people that were exchanging, buying and selling. And then he goes back to Bethany. And we pick up the story today. This would be Tuesday. And Tuesday actually is covered by a few chapters in the book of Mark. And for the third time, they're heading back to the temple in Jerusalem on, the, on this third day of Passion Week. And here's what the scriptures say, starting in verse 20. As they were passing by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots up. Being reminded, Peter said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed is withered. And Jesus answered, saying to him, have faith in God. Now, I've practiced this. I don't know how Jesus said it, but I don't think it was like, have faith in God. I think it was like, have faith in God. It was, it was assertive. It was strong. He says, have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted him. Therefore, I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them and they will be granted you. Whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive you of your transgressions. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. As we are studying through the book of Mark, we come to passages like this, and I mean that they are familiar and they are shared very often. However, as I wrestle through the text throughout the week and pray over what I'm reading and dig into commentaries and try to understand, ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate it, I just want to tell you something that I feel like I am learning every week more than I ever thought I needed to know. And let me say it to you this way. I think you'll relate to this. Have you ever learned something that caused you to think that you don't know very much? 
I feel this way every week. I, I am a bold personality. I, I am a strong type of person, but don't mistake that for me being a learner. I am a learner, and I know that all the time as I stand up before you today. I, I must admit, when you read passages like this, you recognize them because they're used, and they're often used far outside of their context, so much so because of the world that we're a part of, where we need to commercialize and even monetize things to the degree where maybe we're missing a lot of what the scriptures really mean. And so as I was wrestling with this text, I learned some things that I'm going to have to share with you today that might mess with you. So it is possible that you walked in today thinking you know what the scripture meant, but maybe you'll leave thinking that you don't know what it means. I'm not sure if I'm going to help clarify it, but I'm going to mess with you a little bit. Can I remind you of three things that are helpful when you study the Bible that matter here today? Number one, historical context. There are a lot of elements that are lost on us when we read the text. It's at minimum a couple thousand years old and maybe even more when we're reading the Old Testament. But these things need to matter to us if we're going to know God's intention behind his word. For example, we're reading about the temple. When's the last time you brushed up on a good understanding concerning the temple? How many temples were there? What were the promises about the temple, the intention of the temple? These things matter, and that's why we must talk about them, because they're in the text and they're part of what we're reading today. Things like the priesthood, the fig trees. I gave you a little lesson on fig trees. Some of you sent me some emails about your fig trees. I felt like, you know, after the amount of emails that I got from a couple of you to realize that we all have fig trees, we need to start some kind of small group or something. <laughs> In the horticulture realm, I don't, I don't know, but it, it seems like we're all excited about it, and I, I really was grateful. I really was grateful to, to have some of these emails. I, I love it when I get them, by the way. Thank you for those. The second thing we need to remember when we're reading the passage is scriptural context. Scripture interprets scripture. Principles that are taught in one passage and they look like they're different than the consistency of what you're reading in other passages, you need to ask a lot of questions. For example, you might happen upon this scripture today and go, you know what? This just seems too good to be true. And it doesn't seem like anything that Jesus talked about concerning prayer. That is a moment where you and I got to go, maybe I'm not understanding what this is. Would Jesus teach all of this on prayer and then go, Zzz? no, he, he wouldn't. What that means is we got to go to other passages to discover the meaning of the text. And the third part is spiritual meaning. Now, Jesus often says things to the disciples. Now we're reading them today and they have another meaning. You can always see how the disciples don't even know what he's talking about. Isn't it awesome? It's awesome to read that, but then you have to realize that you are also in the same place. But when you read that, or when you come to that determination, you're not smiling and laughing as much. But anyhow, we understand that Jesus is teaching and saying things that they often don't get. And, and maybe it is we don't either. This is why Jesus said to them in John 14, and verse 25, he said, these things I have spoken to you while I am with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he's going to teach you all things. And watch this. He's going to bring to your remembrance all the things that I said. Isn't that awesome? I mean, Peter's probably excited because he wrote nothing down. He's like, thank you. <laughs> Ultimate reminder, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to remind you of all these things that I 
taught. You will need him to help you. He's going to guide you into all truth. And I'm saying all this to say that if we want the scriptures to bear fruit in our lives, we have to seek to grasp the meaning of God's intention behind them. And we pray the Spirit of God would help us with that today. Now, as I look closely at this passage, I found that what Jesus is doing is he's encouraging his disciples to have a certain kind of faith, a faith that endures. And here's the statement that I want to make to you today. Our faith will only last as long as the thing or person that we place our faith in. If we place our faith in something that does not last, what happens to our faith? It goes with that very thing. If we place our faith in God who endures forever, his promises that are always true, then our faith will not fail. And I believe that's the story here today. That's the point because so much of what the disciples thought and valued will soon crumble, but there is someone that will endure forever, and that is Christ, and everything needs to be rooted in him. And so I want to share with you today a few principles from the text that I think will help us as well as we seek to have a faith that endures. The first point is this, enduring faith is rooted in God. Look at verse 20. As they were passing by in the morning, they saw the fig trees withered from the roots up, being reminded, Peter said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered, saying to them, have faith in God. Now look at this. Peter is amazed at the power of Jesus, and he draws attention to it. He says, look, you remember yesterday when you cursed the fig tree. And do you remember what it says just a few verses before what we're reading? When Jesus cursed the fig tree, Mark brings our attention to a little detail that we may have lost, he says, and the disciples were listening. The disciples were listening. The next day, they're walking back to the temple, and Peter goes, the fig tree. Jesus, when you spoke to the tree, now the thing is withered all the way down to the roots. And here was Jesus's response. And don't you love how he does this seemingly all the time? He, has, he says, have faith in God. It almost seems like it doesn't make sense. Like, why would this be his response? Well, here's why. You need to put your thinking cap on today because it's not as simple as the text may suggest or we may have been told. I want to remind you of four things that I think are important if we're going to capture the meaning of this text. Number one, in verse 14, Jesus cursed the fig tree as a pronouncement of judgment upon Israel, the temple, and first century Judaism. Now, some people will say he cursed Israel. He didn't curse the people. What Jesus cursed, remember he said, may no one ever eat fruit from this, from this tree again. He was talking about the outgrowth of all that Israel had been called to steward. God gave them the temple. He gave them the law. He gave them the sacrificial system. He gave them the priesthood. They took all of that and they misstewarded it, it to a degree where it misrepresented God. And Jesus was saying, all of this is over and dead. He's here to establish a new covenant. So he pronounces a judgment upon that. And that is a part of actually what we're reading here today. The second thing in Luke chapter 19 and verse 41 through 44, this is attached to the triumphal entry account. Mark doesn't record this, but Luke does. It says that when Jesus is on the Mount of Olives and he's heading towards the temple before he comes into the temple riding a colt, it says that he starts to weep over the city. So picture it, Jesus is looking at the city 
And I believe he has a vision. 38 years from that day, what's going to take place is Jerusalem is, is going to be destroyed, including the temple. And he t- he's saying prophetically, you miss the day of your visitation. And then he starts to describe what's going to happen 38 years later. He's prophesying about Jerusalem crumbling and the temple with it. That's important. In Mark 13, verse one through two, which also is recorded in Matthew and Luke, Jesus gives a prophecy that the temple would be destroyed. Look at what he says. It's the same day from this passage that we're reading. Okay, Mark chapter 13 is the same day. That's on Tuesday. Jesus says, as he was going out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, teacher, behold, what wonderful stones and wonderful buildings, talking about the temple. And Jesus says to him, do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another, which will be torn, not be torn down. In other words, 38 years from now, this building that you're marveling at is going to be ruins. You will not be able to find a stone. I mean, this is an incredible prophecy that takes place in 70 AD. And here's the fourth thing that we need to know about that matters here with this text. The temple was a national place of worship. It was God's house on earth. It was a microcosm of the heavenly temple. And therefore it was a symbol of God's presence. Friends, it was the holiest place on earth to the Jewish mind. When Jesus says the temple is going to be destroyed, that must have done something to them that I think is lost on us. We read it as sort of a historical reality, but the fact is, What we're looking back on, they felt a certain way. When Jesus was saying the temple is going to be gone, they must have felt like, what are you talking about? And why would you say that? It was so important to them. And here's why. All of this is important. When Jesus cursed the fig tree, he declared judgment on the stewardship of all Israel was given, including the temple, because they were mishandling it. I've said that, but here's what was going on. Israel placed their faith in the systems, structure, and religion rather than God himself. Jesus was 48 hours away from being crucified or being taken, being betrayed to be crucified. He's two days away. The things that he is saying are paramount to all that is taking place. It's not as simple as it sounds. Why would I say he's talking about the temple? The temple is going to be destroyed. What you've placed your faith in is going to crumble. So you need to have a faith in God. Have faith in God. You might not remember Jeremiah chapter seven, but Jeremiah actually stands at the gates of the temple and he starts to cry out as a prophet. And he says, oh, temple, temple. And he's rebuking Israel for putting their trust in the temple. So we've seen this before, not only in Jeremiah, but in other passages. And that is literally what Israel had done. And all of Jesus's disciples were Jewish. This was in preparation for him establishing a new covenant through his death and his burial and his resurrection. All things now are going to be built on Christ. And I could get into the fact that he's a prophet, a priest, and a king. He's the prophet, priest, and king. And I believe the three times that he went to the temple actually speak of those different functions that he takes on. That would be kind of a deep dive. We don't have time for that today. We could talk about how the church of Jesus is the temple and his presence dwells within. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. I mean, all 
All of these things have to matter when we're reading a passage like this because otherwise we will oversimplify what we're reading and not understand that he had a spiritual meaning for what he was talking about. Everything that Israel relied upon, practiced, and cherished was about to crumble And what they represented was Jesus Christ who was standing in front of them, taking his rightful place as a king. And he's saying, if you put your faith in anything, the stuff that you constructed, it's what it represents that you have to have your faith in. Put your faith in God. Put your faith in the person of God. I want to tell you, having faith in God is not about quantity, having enough. It's not about quality. Is your faith good enough? It's about the object of your faith. It's about putting your faith in him and not something. It's someone. Put it in the person of God, his character, which is represented clearly in Scripture. We put our faith in the promises of God. Having faith in him means it must be grounded in his word and an understanding, a right interpretation of his word, not something we want, not our desires, not our misguided ambitions, but the word of God. And when our faith is in God's word, that is a confidence that you and I can have. And I wonder if sometimes we're not confident as we are praying or as we are seeking or as we are waiting because we're not sure if we're standing on what God God says, rather we might be standing on what we want. But if we put our faith in God's word and promises, friends, I'm telling you, it is a sure deal. And that's what Jesus is trying to help them understand. Having faith in God means that we have faith in his power, his ability. We've got to see beyond human capacity and human ability. When Jesus says something is true, even if we don't see it or we can't conceive it or we don't understand it, it doesn't mean he won't do it. God is able to do what we cannot do. We've got this kind of a God. And that's what Jesus is trying to say, have faith in God. All the other stuff's going to crumble, but guess what? God's word, God's power, God's character sustains because he is God. He deserves our full and complete trust. We can rely on him fully and completely, and we must. That's what Jesus is saying here. The question that we have is, do we have our faith in anything less than Jesus? Do we have faith in anything less than Jesus? Pastor Jared, two weeks ago, talked about church hurt. Last week, I talked about how some structures and systems even with our good intentions, that we build these things in obedience to God that are supposed to reflect him. And sometimes these things become something in and of themselves that we trust in and we rely upon and we put too much trust in a person. It's not to say that we don't trust people, but they will let us down because there's only one that's perfect. And so all of us are gonna get hurt at some point. All of us are gonna let each other down. How many of you married people, the person that you love the most has probably let you down more than anybody? because there's more opportunity. It maybe isn't all of your testimony, but the reality, maybe you have high expectations. I don't know. But the fact is, is that we do put so much faith and trust into things, so it's not hard to be let down. It's not hard to be hurt. But friends, the truth is, is that when we put all of our faith in Jesus, Jesus is saying, don't put your faith in the temple. Jesus is saying, don't put your faith into these things that are going to crumble. I represent all of these things. Put your faith in me. That's what he's trying to say. The second part of this is enduring faith releases powerful prayer. 
Look at verse 23. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted him. Therefore, I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them and they will be granted to you. Now, this sounds like an amazing blank check, does it not? Awesome. Anything that I pray is going to happen for me. And we've learned, if we've been a Christian longer than a day, that that isn't exactly what happens. Because here's the truth. It doesn't matter what we say and what we pray if our faith isn't rooted in God properly. It's just not going to happen. There are a lot of things that are assumed when we read a text like this that are not directly said. For example, when we read Hebrews chapter 11 and verse six, it says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who seek him. You know what's implied is that we wanna please God and not ourselves. It is impossible without faith to please God. That means that our whole life is about pleasing God. But sometimes people use that verse and they're really putting it on pleasing self. This is what I want. This is what I'm praying for. This is what I'm looking forward to. It is about self. The implication is if you want to please God, it will require faith. But for the person that is seeking to please themselves, it doesn't matter if you have faith or not because your whole trajectory, everything that you're going after is yourself and you're not going to receive from the Lord if that's your disposition. Faith is fixed on God's word. And when it is, we will release powerful prayers because God is able to do abundantly beyond what we could ask, think, hope, or imagine. He is God. He's not some fictional figure. He's not some idea that comforts me when I'm feeling the fear of death. He is God. He is real. We're talking about the real God, the only God. He has all power. And friends, we've got to broaden our view of prayer today. I want to tell you something. This is not Jesus teaching about our personal prayer requests. And I know that's what sells today. And you've heard me talk about it. You might get a little tired of it. But the fact is, is we have turned so much of what Jesus said into that which is commercialized and monetized and personalized. And Jesus would not be the one on some of our Christian television slots saying the same things that we do today. And he didn't mean it when he said all of these things. And so we have to have a broader view of prayer. Look at what he's talking about. He's saying, you will say to this mountain, mountains represented kingdoms and nations and as well as impossible obstacles. The term moving mountains was an ancient euphemism that rabbis often employed while they were teaching. Contextually, this could have referred to the temple mount. This could have referred to Herod's mountains. They say he would excavate whole areas and build his own mountains where he could put palaces. I mean, he was, he was a very sick man and at the expense of others did so many things like this. It could be referring to the Mount of Olives, but I think it's referring to the temple. I think when Jesus is talking about you say to this mountain, it's my belief. You don't have to agree with me, but I hope that you're not disagreeing because of what you were told 10, 15 years ago. Look into this. But as I looked into this, I believe he's saying, say to this mountain, be removed. He's talking about what's about to be removed. And I think that because of the fig tree and the clearing of the temple and the prophecy later on that day in Mark chapter 13. Also, can you remember that in 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 29, when Solomon dedicates the temple of God, he specifically asks him to honor the prayers that are prayed towards the temple. 
Devout Jews would point towards the temple when they prayed, believing that when they did that, God would hear them. Listen, the temple is about to crumble. Do you remember when Jesus was meeting with the woman at the well in Samaria? And he says to her, the day is coming that he is seeking worshipers that will not just worship here on this mountain or there, but they will worship him in spirit and truth. He's talking about the coming day when we will put all of our faith in him and not in these other things that had become valuable and seemingly represented him. Jesus was not giving a new model for prayer. I believe what this was about, speaking to the mountain, was about walking in the authority of Jesus. It was walking in alignment to his word and to his will. And I just got to park for a second and tell you my bias. I have a fundamental bias against the word of faith movement, and here's why. I believe we need to have faith. I believe we need to put all of our faith in God, put our faith in God's word. Some people get that right. Sometimes Christian television is okay, but sometimes it is embarrassing. Sometimes it is always about what I get out of the deal. If I believe it, I can have it. If I say it, then, then it's mine. That type of stuff, friends, has gotten so many people in trouble. That type of stuff has become so false and it's, it's monetized. It sells because it's what we wanna hear. But you know what Jesus was talking about? Just remember the Lord's prayer. He starts with our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be your name. It starts with God. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When Jesus was teaching about this mountain being removed and cast into the sea and that you can say whatever you want, he was not talking about how to personally pray. He's saying when you are in alignment with God and you're praying your kingdom come, the kingdom of God is the mountain of the Lord, which is literally going to come and it will not be left to another. This is the mountain of God. This is his, his jurisdiction. This is, this is his kingship. This, this is him being the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And if we're going to release powerful prayers, they have got to be focused on his kingdom coming and his will being done on the earth. And it's a sad reality that prayer has turned into what I want and what's for me and what I can get out of it. And friends, I wonder if maybe sometimes we're not getting our prayers answered because it's focused on us. There are all these books written, how to get your prayers answered. I've never read a book like that in my life. You will not catch me buying a book like that because I believe that if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that all these things will be added unto you. So when Jesus says you can cast this into the sea, he's not talking about just individuals. He's saying, I am about to give an authority to you disciples who represent the church, which is what he said in his great commission. Don't you remember it in Matthew 28 and 18? He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I'm giving it to you. Now go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I commanded you. It is about the kingdom of God. When we speak, if we are not speaking in the name of Jesus, when we pray, if we are not praying in the will of Jesus, we will not have anything answered. It's not rocket science. This is all about him. Jesus spoke to the tree. Listen to this. He spoke to the tree, something natural. And he was in alignment with God's will, coming to establish the new covenant the next day. Peter draws attention. Look, the thing you spoke to naturally 
has actually happened. You know, you know what that was? Peter was shocked that Jesus could speak in the natural and see something supernaturally happen. Friend, is that not what prayer is? We are giving words to God. We are praying your kingdom come and we're praying specific things. We're, we're putting these prayers out there and we're saying, God, would you do this? And then when it shows up or it happens, we get surprised like, oh, oh yeah, he does answer prayer. Of course he answers prayer. Peter was shocked by it. And Jesus was starting to print, teach them a principle of how this actually comes to pass. If it's based on God's kingdom, friends, I'm telling you, our prayer life will just take off like a rocket. It's all about authority as far as I can tell. Now, let me give you another proof text for this. In Matthew 17, the context in Matthew 17 is the disciples could not cast out a demon. You remember the, the, the depressed father brings his demonized son, who's, the demon's trying to kill the boy, throw him into the fire. You remember that? He brings him to the disciples. They couldn't cast the demon out. And so Jesus comes down from the mountain and the father brings his son to Jesus. And Jesus first says, faithless generation, how long shall I remain with you? You remember that? This is not about personal prayer requests. This is about kingdom of God and authority. How long shall I remain? Faithless is about faith, faithless generation. And then he cast the demon out and the disciples were like, what just happened and why couldn't we do this? So they come to him later on and he says to them, this kind can only come out by prayer and fasting. There was a clashing of kingdoms. It was an issue of authority. And Jesus is helping them to understand for the rest of his days on the earth, I've given you authority. And when you stand in it, you can say to this mountain, these kingdoms of this world and the kingdoms of darkness, be cast into the sea and you have power and authority over that because you stand in my name. And sometimes we have forfeited that because we're spending our prayer life on ourselves. And when we do that, friends, there's no wonder we're not going to get the answers that we're looking for. Let me share with you two principles that I think he lands on. Number one, prayer that believes no matter what. God's kingdom is being established. Jesus is returning. The question is, what are we praying? Jesus taught that people who believe are people who ask. The evidence of our faith in God is the reality of our asking. We cannot have no prayer life and say, I've got really believing faith. You might have faith in Jesus as your Messiah, but the reality, he's wanting to bring us up to another place so that our believing faith is active in our prayer life. We're asking for God to do what he promised in his word. It's ongoing in our life. We have that authority and he wants us to use it. He wants us to use it for his glory. So prayer believes no matter what. Prayer receives no matter when. Jesus teaches something that's kind of radical that people have misconstrued for years. He says essentially this, that when you pray, believe that you have received it already. Isn't that a crazy idea? I mean, if you're a Pentecostal or you've listened to a bunch of teaching a long time, you're like, oh, bless God, I know what that means. But the rest of us, <laughs> I know who you are. The rest of us are like, I'm supposed to pray and believe that I've already received it. How many of you, I don't want a show of hands, but are you good at that? I want to, I want to show you something today. You're welcome. Kind of saying that to my wife. I'm on Amazon right now in front of you. God bless you. And I'm going to buy a painting that I've wanted for some time. It's a custom artwork here for 55 bucks. Uh, add to cart. Look at this. Hopefully our Wi-Fi works. Amen. I go to the cart 
This Amazon thing is fantastic. Do you guys, are you guys with me on that or what? Okay, I'm in the cart. Place your order. Make sure it's the right. Yep. Hopefully it's somebody else's credit card getting charged here. Not really. Place your order. Bam. There it is. All right. It says that it's going to come October 19th through the 20th. I just did that. Literally just did that. Now here's what I do. I walk away and that thing is what? That is good as done. All I know is that thing's going to show up on my doorstep somewhere between October 19th and 20th. Now, here's my question. Do we have more faith in the delivery process of Amazon than we do for God answering prayer? I bet you we do. I believe that I've received it. It's not just in my cart. It is on the way. Why is it that we don't believe that when we pray, it might be on the way? Maybe it is this. Maybe we're not sure if our prayer is aligned with God's will. Maybe we're not sure if we're praying in a way where we've repented from things, having clear eyes to see what he actually wants. And so we're praying for the best case scenario, but we're not exactly sure. And so it loses confidence. And there are reasons why we get to this place and I wanna share them with you because enduring faith is going to be tested. Look what he says here about the tests. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast to the sea and does not doubt. Look at verse 24. Whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions. There are three tests as far as I can tell. And I thought, man, these don't seem connected. It's like Peter's drawing attention to the fig tree and Jesus says, have faith in God. Okay. And then he gives them a lesson on faith, prayer, and forgiveness. How is that connected with the temple The last 48 hours of Jesus's life, how does this all make sense? Did he just sort of like pull over on the side and say, let's just have a little teaching on, no, they're all connected. And I started to see it all of a sudden this week. I realized that there were things that get in the way of us being kingdom people and praying kingdom prayers. And there are three tests that we have that Jesus brings up in this passage. The first is the test of doubt. The word doubt means to be divided in our thinking, to hesitate, to draw back. And the fact is this, we all have doubts. That's why we need faith. Faith gives us the ability to cross the threshold of our doubt. This is why it's important. Doubt comes against our life and we say, no, I'm gonna believe God. How do we do that? We grab a hold of faith. We grab a hold of the truth and we employ that in our prayer life. We speak it, we pray it, we live it, we say it, we sharpen each other with it. It's more real than the things that we think are real. It is eternal. The Bible says that the flower fades, but God's word stands forever. This is all going. We need an enduring faith, friends. Every structure, every system of this world is going to go, every single one. But the mountain of the hill of the Lord will stand forever. Are we praying in line with God? Are we asking and crying out for what he wants? But I'll tell you, when we do, doubt's going to come. Personal doubt. Doubt about God. Doubt about God's purpose. Doubt about all kinds of things. You're going to have doubt, but you cannot meditate 
on your doubt. You cannot cultivate your doubt or we will draw back on God's word, stop believing, stop praying, stop seeking and stop trusting. And we need to start doing all those things. This will happen. You say, Ben, you're saying we can't have doubt. No, we will have doubts, but you can't let your doubts have you. It's a test. The second test is the test of selfish interests. The previous verse says, all things for which you pray and ask you shall have. People have taken that one to every lofty place you can imagine. All things that you pray. Do you think Jesus was saying that everything I say I can have, like anything? Like right now, anything I say, do you think he was saying that? Do you think Jesus was also making it profoundly personal? You know, we've done that in the Western mindset. We have literally taken the Bible to such an individual level. We don't even see each other when it, when it comes to prayer. I believe in corporate prayer because I believe 75% of the promises of God are actually related to a people and not a person. And so in corporate prayer, we take a hold of something together as a people but we have so radically individualized this that there's no wonder we get into trouble when we think about our prayer life and we think about how we see Jesus and what he's up to. It's really, really about us and it's not about him. Until we realize that sometimes our desires are taken over, we don't have a shift in the place of prayer. Look what James chapter four and verse two says. You know this passage, you quoted at least half of it. You do not have because you do not ask God. Right? Have you ever quoted this passage? We do not have because we do not ask. But I'm going to read you the second part of it. You do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. This is the companion to what Jesus is saying. That we would ask for what we want, no matter what that means for anyone else around us. Friends, I'm saying a lot of times we can get off in this. The priests in God's temple gave themselves to their own wealth at the expense of the people. And don't, don't make no mistake about it. They prayed lofty prayers, didn't they? They prayed prayers. They wanted everybody to see them. Here they are in God's temple profiting off of all of these people. Hey, let's construct this place. Let's put it in the court of the Gentiles and let's profit off the Gentiles, these dirty rats, instead of make a place for them to come like God designed in his temple. Let's profit off people. At their expense, let's grow. Let's, let's become what we want. That's literally what was taking place and Jesus was disgusted by it. I wonder what he would, how he would respond to some of the stuff today. I know this isn't the way to close a message, I know. But I just wonder how he would respond. I wonder what his discernment would be. I wonder what the Apostle Paul would say to some of the teachings that we have based on these scriptures. Is it based on us or God's kingdom? The, le the last test is this, the test of unforgiveness. An unforgiving spirit puts a barrier between us and the Lord. It hinders our prayer life. Jesus taught how to counter this. I wanna say this. These tests become the barrier Jesus is teaching them so that you and I, the disciples, you and I will not be going after God's kingdom. In fact, what they will do is they will shift our focus to ourself. The test of doubt will focus, because you gotta believe something. So if you're doubting God, you're gonna believe something. You're gonna believe yourself. You're gonna believe your doubt. I would tell you to doubt your doubts because they're betraying you. What we're doing is we're putting our faith in ourself, our own reasoning, our own ability to understand things. That's what we're, we've become God in that, at that point instead of him. 
So we doubt our doubts. So this, this, the doubts put the focus on us. And then we look at selfish interests and it puts the focus on us. So we're praying for what we want. We're not thinking about others. We're not thinking about the kingdom of God. We just, this is what I want. This is what I need to get out of it. I can't tell you how many people I have tried to help them realign their prayer life. How many people have come to me in a jam or maybe they have sort of an adulterous situation. This is the common one. And they're like, I'm beginning to pray that if God would give me back my marriage, you know, then I'll serve him. I'm like, friend, you're far too, you're, that's not the right prayer. Your prayer is give your whole heart to Jesus and repent that you weren't there to begin with. And then let that person decide what they're going to do. You understand what I'm trying to say? It's like, it's like we come to him and now it's like, this is what I want, you know, but what does he want? The, the, our Father art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Look at what prayer is focused on. And then it goes to give us today our daily bread. And then the last thing, the test of unforgiveness and forgive us our debts. Jesus taught this, didn't he? Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are indebted to us. Unforgiveness keeps us from everything that God wants to do in us and flow through our life. Unforgiveness, unbelief, and unrepentant sin. These are our enemy, and Jesus is taking care of all of them if we just come to him unforgiveness. That's why he said, pray for those who mistreat you and bless those who curse you. I can't stand when I read teaching about, you know, just get people out of your life. If they don't treat you the right way, you don't have time for this. Sometimes you get those people out of your life and then you go to another place and God introduces you to the same personality because he's more concerned with your deliverance and your development than your convenience. But if we're not focused our prayer life and our way in Christ on what the Bible says to be conformed to the image of his son, he's going to do that in ways that we maybe don't want him to. God's doing things that we're not always asking for or looking for him to do. But Jesus is telling us and he's telling them, you need to let go of unforgiveness because an unforgiving person is indicative of an unforgiven person. A forgiving person is a forgiven person. Unforgiveness is our enemy. And even if somebody has profoundly taken advantage of us or done things that you can't even explain, I get it. But Jesus has done something greater than anything that has been done against us. And we've got to let ha that him have his full work in us to release people of everything. And when that happens, he will give us clean hands and a pure heart. And our prayers are going to be heard. And our prayers are going to be aligned with the kingdom. And our prayers are going to have a powerful release in the life that we live. But this is why we're up against more than just unforgiveness and doubt and selfish interest. We're up against false teaching that is all about self. It sounds good, but it doesn't work. If we put ourselves into him, focus on his kingdom, I'm telling you, you're gonna see your prayers answered. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven in Jesus' mighty name. Let's put our faith in that which endures. Would you stand to your feet today as I close? I don't know if I helped you or hurt you, but either way, we, we got through it together. Amen.
Thank you, Lord. Today, as I prayed for our service at 9 a.m., I had something come to me last night, but I believe it's for our closing. Isaiah chapter 61, he talks about the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, and then he says what he's going to do. He's, He's going to exchange the coats of heaviness for a garment of praise, the coats of despair. And I just felt in my heart that there needs to be an exchange for some of us here today, that you're carrying a heaviness that is too much for you to bear. You can't. I can't carry that. Jesus wants to carry that. He paid for it. He wants us to give it to him. You're carrying a coat of despair. It's something you're wearing. It's not that you want it. It's not that this is what you're after in life. It's just, it's just become this way and He says, I want to give you a garment of praise. Give me that and I'll give you something that causes you to rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. To know him and to celebrate Jesus above all of this other stuff. He can give us joy. He can give us peace that passes our understanding. You don't understand some things, he can give you peace beyond it. Amen, he can. And so today I just want to close by praying this over you. If if that's you, Receive from the Lord. Just give to him whatever is in the way in your life. Maybe you've got some doubt. Maybe you've, man, Ben, I'm focused on some selfish interests. I don't want to raise my hand today, but it's there, you know, and I've got some unforgiveness. It's your enemy is what it is. It's your enemy. Let Jesus have his way. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you today in the name of Jesus, and we just pray Your kingdom come, your will be done in our lives as it is in heaven. Establish your authority in us as individuals, but also as a church, that we are in full alignment with you and that what we pray and what we say has bearing in this world. It's not just something that's said and it it just like the the wind, it goes just like it it came. It, It just doesn't mean anything. Lord, I pray that we would be a people of substance and that our faith would be in the one that endures forever, the promises that are always true and your character that is rock solid even when everything else falls and fades. The things that we construct, that which we've looked to, Lord, it might crumble, but you, your word does not. So we thank you today that we can place our faith in you. And I pray for a cleansing to wash over us and an exchange to happen for anybody that's here that needs something to happen in their heart or in their life, and they just can't make it happen themselves. Father, I pray for a heavenly exchange. We give to you our garments of despair. We give to you that coat of heaviness. And we ask you today that you would exchange it for garments of praise. And there would be joy that doesn't make sense and peace that passes our understanding and that literally you would just give it to us because we're asking. And as far as we can tell, that is according to your word. And so we receive it just like it is a done deal. We believe that we have received because it's your word. We thank you for that today in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Northwest Church, go to our website, nwcfoursquare.org or download our app in any of the app stores by searching Northwest Foursquare Church.